Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Hey everybody, Holden here. And I'm Jake. And we are so excited to tell you about the last podcast network, Country Jamboree in Nashville, Tennessee, at the historic Ryman Auditorium on June 18th. Holy shit, Jake, this is going to be amazing. Now I know what you're thinking, what is a Country Jamboree for a podcast network? Well, it's a (laughs) super show where literally all the shows from the last podcast network will be gracing the stage. We're talking the OG boys, last podcast on the left, page seven with uh, Holden McNeely, uh, Wizard in the Bruiser with also Holden McNeely. No dogs in space. Brighter side. Fraudsters. Fraudsters. Someplace underneath. The story must be told. Fraudsters. It's going to be an incredible show. Fraudsters is definitely going to be there. It's going to be an incredible show. Come check it out. Again, that's Nashville, Tennessee, June 18th. Ryman Auditorium. Last podcast network country jamboree. Don't miss it. Tickets available now. Number 781, Construction Worker Deadpool. Number 782, Ballerina Deadpool. Number 783, Birthday Glasses Deadpool. Number 784, Sherlock Holmes Deadpool. Number 786, Nerd Deadpool. Uh, Number 25, Freddy Funko Deadpool Red. Number 25, Alternate, Freddy Funko Deadpool Gray. Unmasked Gwenpool, a Walgreens exclusive. Deadpool the Duck, Walgreens exclusive. Deadpool Venom Metallic, Pop in a Box exclusive. Venom Pool Contest of Champions Prize exclusive. Deadpool versus Cable comic moments, Mermaid Deadpool, Target exclusive, Clown Deadpool, Chicken Deadpool, Amazon exclusive, Wizard Deadpool, Barnes and Noble exclusive, oh, Cheerleader Deadpool. Deadpool. <laughs> is there a Bruiser Deadpool? There is uh, a. There, I don't think there is a Bruiser Deadpool, but there is a, wes- <laughs> a Wizard Deadpool. That was Fantastic. one of the two hundred Deadpool Funko Pops currently available to fans of Deadpool, and I think. Oh, hey, it's me, Freddy Funko. Oh, God, you're so fucking annoying looking. I'm here to say, take off your clothes. It's me, Freddy Funko. I'm the bruiser holding McNeely. I don't know. I hate your freckled little face. (laughs) I'm just trying to start it weird enough to alienate those few people who only were like, I just want to listen to the episode of Funko. I'm kidding. I appreciate that you guys are here. And we are here to talk about 
um, something that on its face seems so simple and, mm. you know, in every way. And I mean, I would and, say, yeah, there is no simpler face than a blank yeah. face with two black dots. <laughs> <a> dead eyed <laughs> thing that represents the thing you loved when you were 12. But it's no, so much more complex than that. And it's such an interesting time for this. I think in the realm of, and hey, they even get into it. Uh, over the last year or so with NFTs and the realm of NFTs and the realm of, you know, in a post-Beanie Babies world. Oh, we're already busting out the Beanie Babies. We're yes, already throwing it out immediately rolling out the Beanie Baby cart and, throw, and shoving Princess Di Beanie Baby in your there face. There is no greater fucking, it's, all, it's, it's a collector slur in the Funko community to bring out Beanie Babies. Totally. To, I understand oh, I, how horrifically reductive that statement was. You should have seen my friend's face who invested in NFTs when I told him I think NFTs are actually Beanie Babies. I think those are actually more Beanie Baby than Fungo Pop. Uh, but rat, but still, getting back to Fungo Pops um, and the correlation, uh, I, you know, th- wh- wh- they are, uh, but they are more than that. I think they, tra- they think they transcend the Beanie and we're going to get into why. I think that's kind of like my big closing mm-hmm. bit is kind of like what are these just Beanie Babies of the 2010s, 2020s, or what makes them not? And will they survive and stand the test of time unlike the Benepepe and the hey, and the Fidget Spinner and the Pog? I'm throwing them all in there. All right. Uh, you know, and and I will say for me, Jake, let's get it. Let's get into the gush. All right. Come on, because you know what? I think, Jake, uh, we're all guilty of this. I have, I believe, a Daenerys Beanie Baby. I, or I'm sorry, you said uh, Funko Beanie. Pop. Jesus Christ, Holden. I have a Daenerys Funko Pop and a couple of Harry Potter Funko Pops. I think Neville Longbottom and and Luna Lovegood. And, you know, it's it's kind of unavoidable. I think everybody somewhere in their house. Even if it's hidden away someplace, but they just didn't want to throw it away because a dear friend gave it to them for their birthday. Somewhere in your house, there's probably a bean, uh, a, a fungo pop lurking in the shadows. Uh, besides that, though, I also want to give a little bit of a gush on like me as a collector because besides that, like honestly, and and I will say about the Funkos that we have, I was kind of annoyed with the Daenerys one because you can't really stand her up. She just, her head is so big and mismatched to her body and there's nothing there to like prop her. So we kind of gave up. She was always like dead Daenerys in our, on our bookshelf because you can never like keep her standing. She was just so round and slick and smooth that like every time you thought you found a good position for her, she would inevitably end up um, face down or laying on her back like some sort of Daenerys Dracula character uh, while everyone else was up and about. Having having fun amongst themselves, you know, on the shelf. So that's one thing that kind of did turn me off to Funko Pops. The 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 uh, the though I did appreciate, you know, it's fun to have the stuff you like on your shelf, and I think we all enjoy that. And it's fun to open up a thing and be like, "Wow, someone knows what I love and gave me the Funko Pop version of what I love." Besides that, I'm not much of a collector. Is another mm-hmm. thing I'm realizing about myself. Just in general, variants and all this stuff. I got hype about comics when they were doing all that in the '90s. Um, but I definitely was more like watching my brother get really into it and kind of supporting it. Like he got, 
that death of Superman single issue, you know, wrapped up. He also got he his, he did have a really uh, nice ver- copy of um, Wolverine number two, mm. uh, which was worth I think some amount of money. Um, but he was into the baseball cards. He was in all that kind of stuff. And I did have some stuff. I had those Marvel cards. Remember mm-hmm. those Marvel cards? The um, what were they called? Marvel Masterworks, the painted ones. Yeah, the really cool with the really cool illustrations. I loved those, but I just loved like looking at them and like I loved the texture of them and reading the back and everything. You know what I mean? Like, but I wasn't like, oh, I'm gonna make a lot of money with these someday. And uh, I did get into comic book collecting a little bit with Spawn. I have Spawn issues number like one through thirty or something like that. And that was the time when it was like this is an investment for the future. I was in fourth grade. You know, I was like. And more again, my brother kind of being like, you got to get into this because like this is going to put you through, you know, fucking clown college or whatever. You know what I mean? Um, So but that was about it. And it died away really quickly. Uh, The only thing I sport on my shelf that I'm like, I'm glad I have all of these yada, yada, yada is um, my berserk Mm -hmm. volumes. Right. And even that I don't expect to make money off of that. I just like like having that up on my shelf. That's about it. I mean, the other thing, too, is maybe Lego, which is actually kind of Funko adjacent for sure. Um, And Lego I enjoy. But again, it's the process of like putting it together and then just like having something nice up on my shelf to justify the insane cost of it. But I never collected anything really outside of maybe the Spawn comics that I was like, this is an investment and I'm going to like sell this later on in my life or yada, yada, yada. I have a complex, the same thing with gambling. I have a complex in myself where I'm like, that's never how I succeed Mm -hmm. in life. That's just never going to be how I hold and make Neely succeed. Like is by, you know, that's why like immediately I'm just like not into the crypto thing, not into the NFT thing. Mm -hmm. It's just, I know deep within me that every gamble I make in that way will never heard of something off. you're already too late you're not on the ground yeah floor. i'm already and I, i'm the guy i'm the sucker yeah. i'm the guy that buys in and then the whole thing you know what i mean and you know i'm 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 the guy that literally like my friend next to me just made a bunch of money off of it and i just bought in right after them and i'm still gonna be the guy that yeah. definitely loses what about you jake do you did were you ever a collector and what also specifically your connection to the funko pop So I remember specifically in the 2000s being a fan of like nerd culture, a fan of like indie music, a fan of indie comics, a fan of like uh, street art, pop art. Uh, You know, there was I had this like air of I don't know how else to describe it, but like just hipster bolt, nerd hipster bullshit about myself. Uh And I remember being around must have been 2000. 10, 2011, walking into Midtown Comics and the vinyl urban, uh, sorry, the urban vinyl art toy movement was alive and well. There were companies like Key out of Hong Kong, Kid Robot had its own store in uh, the Lower East Side. And I loved these like amazing graphic kind of molded plastic toys that all had like various street artist crossovers. And the idea of them was like, the most popular ones were like uh, the Munnies, uh, M-U-N-N-Ys, where you could like paint them yourself and they would do like different money artworks. And it was this amazing combination of 
high culture and low culture all world into one. And I absolutely was enamored with the whole aesthetic. For some reason, I, I just mentally associated it with like Banksy. It was kind of yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was Banksy adjacent. Art. Yes, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. And I was in Midtown Comics and th- I there were some like licensed vinyl toys lining all the shelves because it had kind of wiggled its way down to retail. And I remember looking at a couple of ones and being like, oh, that one's pretty cool. Oh, uh, that one's all right. Uh, yeah, no, I think this is Mini Mates figures were like lining a bunch of shelves. This was the era of the Mini Mates, if you remember that. Um, I always loved Lego minifigs as a kid. I loved that aesthetic. I loved that simplicity, that uh, classic uh-huh. design. And I saw on the shelf, probably like series one, the Funko DC Hero Pops, the Batman, the Penguin, the Joker. And I remember looking at them and seeing their beady eyes, the blank mouth, the uh, giant head, and going, ugh, those are ugly. <laughs> uh, those are my least favorite ones. Yeah. I do not appreciate that design, which uh, I've actually, I've, I've talked a lot about this with a lot of people online about what is it about it. It's the lack of mouth. If they just gave the Funko Pop the lit, just the barest smile line like a Lego minifig, it would register as a friend. The smiley face is like one of the simplest friendly symbols in the entirety of graphic language. And without mm-hmm. the smile, you just have no emotions, no intentions. It like is you can't read its 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 intent, you know. It, like, is it trying to hurt me? Why? Like, what are you staring at? I yeah, have also it's weird. Heard some pro- of, rarely, but some like I'm looking at. Oh like, no, no, no! A they have relaxed so far. The modern yeah. ones will often have mouths. Will often have articulation <laughs> on the face. The most attractive Funko Pops are the ones that completely get rid of that design language and just have a cute hmm. little toy that vaguely fits in with the other ones. But we'll get yeah. into that later. Yeah, yeah, but. I just, from that moment in that store, I was like, I do not appreciate these. <laughs> and watching them, you know, I was a comedian. I would go to anime cons as part of Dorkly. We'd go to New York Comic Con. Um, I was like deep in nerd culture at the heights of the loot creatification of society, which we will get into. Um uh, and just resenting Funko Pops the entire time. I never wanted one as a gift. No one ever gave me one as a gift. People were like, hey, do you want this? And I'd say, no. <laughs> I was a, I, you know, I would never go out of my way to shit on them. But, like, they represented just, like, an entire wing of fandom that I don't understand. Like you, Holden, I also do not have that collector's instinct. I do yeah. not have that desire to complete something. I The thrill of the chase of going from store to store to like, you know, to find mm-hmm. those toys, to find those action figures that, uh, you know, the thrill of finding one in the wild. Yeah. I just do not have it. I do not. Just any of that stuff. Sneakerhead shit. I'm yeah, not yeah, into yeah. it at all. Like any, anything that involves like standing in a line at five in the morning in front of a retail shop to acquire an item, you know what I mean? It's just so foreign to me in what I but would But you li- understand that it is a actual emotion that's, you know, at least Yo, yeah. s- several thousand of our listeners are active, happy Funko collectors. And I think we, even though we both are not enamored yes. by their presence, we can acknowledge that if it brings you joy, 
it's not, you know, you're not a fool. You're not a moron. You're There's nothing wrong with you. Yeah, it's like, I don't want to just sit here and talk shit about Funko Pops for the next hour or whatever. So I assure you, we're not gonna. Like, the, I, because yes, we may. Okay, so we're both on the same page, Jake, mm-hmm. though, is that's the interesting thing. But but fear not, dear listener, because I think if anything, we've become enamored from doing this episode with the Funko Pop and like what it means for mm-hmm. society. What, you know, just like anything else, I'm interested in what makes something so successful. And because I have this like history, n- historic knowledge of, you know, when something like this becomes so successful, Brandon Gravers and, and uh, things of its ilk, like I have certain expectations of you know the rise and fall of something like this or like the way but what's interesting i think one of the most interesting facts that i read is that like in pandemic funko pops uh had the best like couple of quarters of their in ex- of their time in existence they have just been Killing it. At the time of this recording, Holden, uh, the Funko Corporation, which is a publicly traded stock on the NASDAQ, had a gigantic rally gaining over 30% in value uh, because they just got acquired by a basically celebrity who's who uh, investment uh, stake, getting $263 million of investment from something called the Churning Group that included uh, uh, former Walt Disney's uh, company CEO Robert Iger, sports agent Paul Rich. I'm sorry, Rich Paul eek, and uh, <laughs> eBay. So, like, they are vibrant. They are active. Their uh, NFTs are even as the rest of the NFT market is like crashing. These Funko NFTs are moving. Uh, their Fly Lounge backpack series is growing in popularity. Their Funko Games division is still. Uh, making great sales in the tabletop gaming market. They are a real company. Uh, to the point I'm going to, this is, I was good. I'm, this is the, one of the threads I want to weave throughout. This is the Legofication of Funko. I think we, mm-hmm. you can't make the beanie babies comparison after they've stuck around for 12 years. They yeah, are I guess here. that's true. I mean, they are, babies are part in and of the out. toy landscape yeah. and they are going to, they exist in their own category of, the $10 totem of fandom for somebody who you want to give them a totem of their fandom. Well, and there you said it right there. It, it, the key word here is fandom. We are in the age of fandom. We are in the age. And I think that that's like, especially a lot with the internet now, like before the internet, it was about, we talked about this with the hot topic episode. It was about like what scene you were a part of. Are you a goth? Are you a grunge kid? What scene do you like? Once the internet hit and everything just became like melded together, I think in a lot of ways, it was all about what specific things you are really into and what how you represent your own self and your personality online, on your bookshelf, whatever. It, it uh, so much of it is uh, representing those very specific characters that you even that you like from the show you like not even just the show you're like i am a fucking baby yoda motherfucker right here you know what i'm saying that's me that's what i'm into or like i'm i am a you know i i it's not just the mcu i'm a doctor strange dude that's my thing that's my exactly my totem right Mm -hmm. and it's funny because i think that we went you know, and nostalgia is still a huge part of it, but I think it like started as a nostalgia bomb 
collecting Funkos and it slowly has turned into like now there's just like a machine gun Kelly Funko Pop. Mm-hmm. There's, you know what I mean? There's stuff that's literally, there's a WandaVision Funko Pop. There's a Dre, I'm looking at a DJ Khaled Funko Pop, right? There's just like stuff that's literally happening and, and this is part of their business model and we'll talk mm-hmm. about that. How I mean, they can get something on the shelf in 70 days, right? Mm-hmm. So another big thing that they are constantly chasing and are aware of is like, what is this thing right now Let's we're getting it out immediately yesterday, but and then pandemic hit and everything slowed down in terms of art output, in terms of film output, whatever. All these businesses kind of started kind of grinding to a halt. Didn't matter for Funko is they also have you know Seinfeld and fucking you know uh, a million things. You know you can get things. everything from Jim from the Office to Hillary Clinton. Yeah, there is it's literally just no endless. zone of human affinity that cannot be condensed and represented in a little cube and given to someone to put on their desk. And I think yeah. that's, uh, you know what? No, I'm going to save that fucking uh, thesis statement for the end of the episode. Okay, I like it. I hear that. Yeah, but, so uh, there's the that other thing. whole thing going on. But then they also are completely aware of the collector side of things and are doing the thing that Beanie Baby did, but they're doing it so much better with vaulting things, away and like limiting supply of a lot of certain things to keep that collector market avid and hysterical and con and i've been in a dude's basement that was literally covered every wall was covered foot to head in funko pops right yeah they also oh they also play retailers impeccably well because of the way that they use chases which is a term in toy collectors where for every six uh, Funkos you order, you'll get a variant, either a different color scheme or a different paint job or even different molding in some cases. And so the retailers can sell those chase ones to collectors for way more. So they're incentivized to order as many as possible. Mm-hmm. They then uh, reward retailers who move units with exclusives to the point where there's entire original molds and original characters that you can only get at certain stores. Thus, giving those retailers more incentive to dedicate more and more wall space to Funkos. I think one of the things that uh, has led to this Funko backlash is you walk into almost any retail environment in America and there will be Funko Pops within eyeshot of you. You know, ubiquity leads to resentment. I was going to bring that up for when I really knew that they had taken over. And that was when I walked into a GameStop and half of the store space was no longer dedicated to video games. Mm -hmm. And it was mostly dedicated to Funko Pops. And I was like, oh, I see what's going on here. Like, and it was definitely, you know, and there was smart timing for them to go after GameStop as hard as they did because uh, it was definitely a time when the big debate was like, what's even the point of having physical when you can do everything digital, you know? And and I was still of the mindset of, um, no, I, I definitely still like having like the game case and everything. But even that changed pretty quickly. I couldn't get a hold of Neo. I, I looked in multiple stores and they just like, the retailers underestimated the popularity of the game. I couldn't find it anywhere. And uh, I ended up d- digitally downloading it. And I was like, oh, this is like way easier <laughs> than running from like store to store to store to try to find, you know what I mean? And I was done after that. So it makes sense, you know, that you would still have... I mean, it definitely is is a uh, um, it's a thing that can only be physicalized. You know what I mean? Actually, they're turning it into NFTs, but whatever. Well, with that, part of I'm- the NFTs is that you get a you get a put in the in the you can you get a chance to get a limited edition Funko by buying the NFT. So. Gotcha. That makes more sense. But yeah, it's like one of the few remaining things that literally is is 
physical that you at people avidly want to get and put in their homes. You Not know? only is it physical, but you know, for it's only ten dollars. It's yes. uh, adjusted for inflation. It's that same five dollar, you know, the same almost the same price as a beanie baby back in the day. It's like a right. non-entity. It's it's cheaper than a T-shirt. You don't have to. I'm thinking of like the most bare bones. I know you like this thing and I'm going yeah. to get you a gift and I don't know you that well. You don't even have to know their size. You don't even have to know their sense of humor. You don't even have to know their aesthetic. You don't even have to know what vibe they want because they're the Funko faces are all blank. They are just as inoffensive as possible. And so it's just the the lowest effort from a emotional and financial standpoint to go from, I like this thing in the realm of the mind to I have a physical totem of it in my physical world. Totally, totally. And that is a brilliant uh, reality hack in our yeah. age where our brains are full of fantasy figures, both fictional and non-fictional. Right, right, right. And a lot of people think they're cute. I don't personally, but like a lot of people <laughs> do look at these things and go, oh, they're like little babies. I don't understand well, it, but it that is a thing. and it works on both ends. So if you like cute things, if you're a person who maybe would have loved a, be a beanie baby back in the day, you're going to love so much of this stuff. Or if you're an edgy person, get you know, fucking Michael Myers from Freddy Krueger. There's, there's, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And people love that too. And like the horror community and like, like, you know, the edgier community loves getting like an evil version of a cute thing. Mm -hmm. So it, it, it works on both levels. And the fact that they are just like, yeah, we'll license whatever. We don't care. You know, and it's something interesting they've actually avoided, at least to my, from what I've looked up, of anybody being like, any fandom being like, we uh, aren't going to buy any more Funko Pops for our fandom because we're offended that you guys mm -hmm. chose this other thing for to, to make a Funko Pop. They weirdly like skirt away from that completely. Like no one, you never hear anyone coming after Funko Pop being like, you have this problematic Funko Pop. And there are ones, you know, mm -hmm. that are are based in. There's like eight Michael Jacksons for sale right yeah, now. Yeah, <laughs> like, like exactly, for example, right? And like nobody ever, because they're just like, it's almost as if they aren't connected somehow, you know? They are at once their own brand and their own lifestyle, but also like pop culture wallpaper. It's Yes, they've just been so f foundational now uh, to a, you know, a, 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 a Twitch streamer's wall mm -hmm. that like you, it's almost as if like Fungo Pop isn't one company. It's like just the bog standard for these sorts of like vinyl figures. And that's not true at all. Right. Um, all right. Well, we let's get, into, get it. into it. We, we got to get, get into it. it. We covered, I mean, I'm going to have to skip some things in here. I feel like we covered some really specific good stuff up top in the gush. Funko Inc. is an American company that manufactures licensed limited pop culture collectibles. It was founded in 1998 by Mike Becker and Claudia Becker, initially to create nostalgia-themed toys. It has since obtained over 1,100 licenses with different companies, and it has become known for easily jumping to different properties that become super popular in the zeitgeist as they are able to get a product, as I said before, from initial design onto a shelf in a 70-day time period. Also, Mike Becker... Not actually the guy in this story. It actually uh, is well, this it's, other guy. It's an interesting thing because Mike Becker was a guy who worked sales at a Pacific Northwest t-shirt company called Seabell Sports. Uh, they made graphic tees. He had uh, experience with licensing. And he was obsessed with 1950s, 60s nostalgia. He bought a like old Dodge with the spaceship aerofoils on the back. 
And he made friends with one of the artists there, Rob Schwartz. And they would go to tiki bars. They would like take photos of neon signs. They dress up in rockabilly thing. You know, the, the one of those kind of guys. They're a dying breed, yeah. but they were a lot more common in the early nineties. Um, they brought in another guy uh, named Sean Wilkinson, who was another graphic artist, as kind of their third musketeer. Uh, they would throw theme parties based on stuff like cowboys and aliens or like circus and burlesque. They were just uh, uh, sideburn bros in cargo shorts. They were living <laughs> uh-huh. their best life. And they really wanted to start their own company that kind of uh, tapped into this nascent nostalgia scene that they were all a part of. And so um, the first thing they kind of settled on is they were going to make bobbleheads. It was this kind of uh, antiquated form of merchandise that didn't really uh, exist anymore. They were uh, technically not uh, not dolls or action figures, which meant that they were actually available to a lot of licensees that had their rights tied up with other companies. And uh, with their design background and and Mike Becker sales background and licensing background, they very quickly uh, started gaining licenses and making sales, and they formed a company known as Brainworks, later changed to Funko. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Now, uh, uh, the initial pool apparently was connected to uh, Bob's Big Boy Restaurants. Correct. Uh, He really wanted to get himself a Big Boy coin bank. He thought, you know, hey, uh, you know, surely I can get one of those, snap one of those up real easy. But he found he had trouble uh, acquiring one. He goes on eBay. They're all being sold for hundreds of dollars as they're all these, like, again, these old school nostalgia collector's pieces. And he's like, well, we can make our own replica, sell it for way cheaper, you know, profit, right? It's going to be amazing. And so, yeah, out of his house, he starts putting this this thing out along with these bobbleheads it's coin banks bobbleheads and puppets um and he's he's like oh we'll work different nostalgia angles and initially uh it was you know popeye dick tracy and a big one up front for funko is going to be cereal mascots Mm -hmm. count chocula frankenberry these sorts of things and uh he finds that uh the big boy banks don't sell well at all but what keeps them in business, oddly enough, is a uh, line of Austin Powers bobbleheads. That yes. was the initial good seller for them. They were shipping 100,000 units out of their garage, just a four-man company. So they're probably thinking, like, also at this time, even immediately, like, oh, people don't necessarily want, like, that old shit that's no longer cool like, but maybe we should focus on some bigger hitters uh, in in the zeitgeist and popularity, like 
at the time, Austin Powers, which was hugely popular, I believe, even in uh, back, yeah, back when they were putting these out, even though no one talks about Austin Powers today. It's an interesting scene in uh, 1997, 98, when all this is going down, because uh, even though Austin Powers was like their big seller, they were uh, very quickly kind of amassing like-minded fans who started calling themselves fanatics for Funko, who were collecting these bobbleheads. They would hold live events at stores such as Sparky's uh, at Universal City Walk, where the team would like do fake lectures about the science of fun and hand out free bowls of cereal and do photo ops. They created their own mascot, this kind of hybrid uh, howdy doody looking motherfucker. It's reminiscent of all those early 60s mascots named Freddy Funko. And uh, they started doing conventions as well and setting up booths there. And they kind of were just racking up this fan base and racking up this community of collectors and making themselves known within toy and fandom communities. Uh, it was kind of just this little company that could for a while. Uh, you know, old cartoons, old mascots, and once in a while, a uh, licensed movie tie-in just kept them afloat for a very long time. Yeah. And so, cut to, can we cut to 2005? Do we cut to Yeah, we can cut to 2005. Yada, yada, yada. They're, ho- they're hawking these bobbleheads all over Wacky the place. Wacky wobblers, they called them. Wacky, Wacky wobblers. They're, you know, they're doing okay, but, you know, nothing to write home about. And uh, Mr. Uh, Becker is getting a little fatigued. So, we cut to 2005. Becker now just starting to be like, maybe I should get out of the biz. I don't know what I'm doing anymore. I've been doing this for so long, almost a decade. Nothing's really like changing, you know, nothing's really exploding uh, with success. So um, Brian Mariotti steps in. He is the chief creative officer at the time over at Funko. Oh, this is amazing. This is amazing. Um, So Brian was a fellow Pacific Northwesterner who was also a collector, also a member of this scene. And he just straight up is so kind of like covetous and like enamored with Becker's little like nostalgia empire that he calls him out of the blue and just starts asking him questions about the company and to close out the, just over the phone, just cold calls him and over the phone, like invites him out to a a round of golf because Becker famously loved golf. Mm -hmm. One of the uh, employees pastimes was to set up the bobbleheads like a golf tee and whack the heads off of them (laughs) into an empty field. Mariotti, beats Becker at their first game together, gets invited to join the company, and Mariotti just shadows Becker for like three years watching him run the company. Yeah, he had first discovered uh, Flintstone bobbleheads at Universal Studios and just felt they were fantastic products. That's how he ends up contacting Becker. Uh, And on their golf trip, Mariotti said, he kept shaking his head and saying, man, it's like we're separated at birth. We struck up a friendship, and for three years, I got to watch him run the company. Then in 2005, when he decided he wanted to get out of the business, I partnered with a couple friends from high school and bought the company. Uh, Initially, though, Mariotti was a college dropout. He first attended Shoreline Community College. Mariotti said, I'd take three classes and drop two because I was skiing. I was always waiting tables and bartending, so I would take a lot of my disposable income to an antique toy store called Gasoline Alley, just north of the U District. 
I got into collecting Pez dispensers in high school and got serious about it once I started making some money. Sometimes I'd spend $150 on one Pez. It was ludicrous. And at 23, he drops out of college to help open and run a high-end bar with some friends. And when he met his future wife during that time, uh, he realized he wanted to get a house and settle down. So he ends up selling the Pez dispenser collection in order to buy his first house. So you've got two things here, right? You've got... Um, he's learning how to run a business and also he's understanding a collector market with these Pez dispensers and understanding specifically on the toy end, right? Of what it's like to, you know, be a part of a market like that. And, and so, uh, you know, in the early two thousands, Mariotti's out of the bar business. He's now doing marketing and advertising to complete the trifecta. And, uh, that's the run up to him meeting Becker. So yeah, he's learning marketing running a business and the just the whole business around collecting and yeah it was like a perfect storm at uh, becker's last funko fun day he addressed the uh, assembled fanatics all in their mouths full of sugar sweetened milk <laughs> and uh, he says that he has finished everything he wanted to do with the company move on to find a new challenge and that he was selling the company to someone who he thought was the right person a friend and fellow collector and he brings Brian Mariotti up to the stage and literally passes a plastic novelty crown <laughs> onto Brian's head. Uh, the first few years, Brian actually has kind of a rough go of running Funko. Um, uh -huh. They're kind of trying a lot of different things. There's the uh, Fantastic Plastic line, the Nodniks, which are like a simplified uh, kind of bobblehead that... Uh, requires less molding and it's more paint focused, uh, very much in same tune with the art vinyls and mini mates that are popular at the time. The Funko Force line, the unfortunately named Spastic Plastic line, the Japanese inspired mini Hikari line. Uh, they're all just all of them trying to like fuse the throwback like uh, retro aesthetic with the modern rapidly growing urban vinyl art toy scene uh, and Brian admits that he's operating on fan instinct and business inexperience, although he did succeed in getting the Star Wars license in 2007. And that kind of opened the gates for him on working with larger licensee companies. It's not until 2010 mm -hmm. that DC Comics and slash Warner Brothers approaches uh, Funko wanting to cash in on that same urban vinyl craze and sought out Funko because of their existing relationship with bobblehead licensing. Uh, previously, uh, Rob Schwartz and uh, who was the other guy? Uh, Sean Wilkinson were still at Funko as part of the design team, had created these plush toys with kind of Hello Kitty Sanrio-inspired proportions, blank faces, big black dome button eyes, and Brian, uh, according to Brian, when he first saw them, he's like, oh, those kind of look like vinyl toys. So when DC Comics reached out to Brian, he immediately called them back and was like, yes, we can do it. We have a design. Um, they refined the original Funko design with the large head, the blank eyes and the small body and released it in 2010, unveiling them as the Funko Pop Heroes line. And the fanatics hated it. <laughs> They did not like it at all. They had sunk their entire lives into the Funko bobblehead 
its ecosystem, and we're not pleased by this new addition to the lineup. It's funny too, because they're like they're bobbleheads without the bobble, essentially. Too. Yeah. So of course, any bobblehead collector would be furious. The one thing that makes them <laughs> the thing you call them has been removed, stripped from the uh, from the figure. Um, apparently, the, this format was initially referred to as Funko Force 2.0. Uh, the first line of Funko Force figures were pulled from Star Wars, Marvel, and Star Trek, but they didn't have that co- characteristic lack of detail. If you look up Funko Force, like 1.0 or just original Funko Force, they have these very, like, they're still like the tiny body with the big head, but they're way more detailed and mm-hmm. and fully looking like the thing they're based off of. It wasn't until they did the 2.0 where they simplified and really made it exactly that that vinyl figure scene um, had had so much of the same, like the beady eyes and everything, is that they they were they you know they fully got to uh, what they wanted to get to. Mariotti said the early results from my fan base were fairly negative. They didn't like the look, the feel, the fact it didn't bobble, but still they got enough positive reaction when they displayed these figures at a uh, San Diego Comic-Con. I believe 2011 San Diego Comic-Con? They were first unveiled in 2010, but the line was expanded in 2011. Uh, But yeah, the product uh, appealed more to people outside of the fanatic uh, uh, cabal. Women, children, like they were cuter. They were simpler. They were less... uh, They they stood out in a world full of like licensed... uh, Bric-a-brac. Mariotti said, girls would come to our booth and say, this is the cutest thing ever. And I thought, this is it. Mike had built a loyal fan base, but they just wanted bobbleheads. Pop appealed to anyone who loved pop culture. I'm not sure why other companies haven't followed what we've done, but I'm glad they haven't. Yeah, in other words, um, a bunch of like old, dusty dude bros who just are weirdly in the bobblehead space like yeah they wanted to break outside of those guys well, I'm they, sure. they just uh, they just kind of evolved past their like Archie McPhee rockabilly throwback yeah. phase they they had gotten everything they needed out of that community and needed to break out into the larger world so now that they have this very specific design process they settled into this aesthetic Now it's the race to get as many licenses as humanly possible, which was, at the time, 25. Then another important business strategy was utilized, getting out of just comic book and collectible shops and into big box stores and mainstream realtors. Um, And so they do that. All of a sudden, they're in Walmart. They're in GameStop. They're in Target. They're in, you know, they're, they're doing, making deals with Amazon. And it's just like all of a sudden you're just you're invading these spaces that mm-hmm. we you know we're not used to these sorts of figures invading. And then on top of that, they're not they're ten bucks a pop, and uh, so just immediately they start catching fire with fans and collectors alike. Mariotti refers to them as quote a gateway drug for collectibles. Which totally, right? Because as soon as you get one, especially if you get a Neville Longbottom, like I said before, now I have a Harry Potter character I like. Well, there's so many. Why don't I Mm -hmm. continue to... That's my thing, right? I'll just make it my thing. I'll get these Harry Potter... And and it's 10 bucks. Mm -hmm. And it's so nice and rewarding. You get it in, you say, oh... I completed my collection a little bit more. I got, I'm, just, I'm just getting the Harry Potter ones. And then I go, oh, they got a Stranger Things line now. I love that show too. And you just keep going and going and going. All of a sudden, you have an entire wall, <laughs> head to toe. What, it's fucking the fact figures. that they are the perfect gift, that $10 is such a nothing, don't think about it price, 
and the fact that they offer so many various lines, sports, uh, you know, real life figures, musicians, every form of TV show, every form of movie, including stuff that like would never get merchandising otherwise. Like, yes. In what other universe is there like dolls of the characters from Orphan Black? Like what? Or what like the fuck are- Supernatural, the TCW yeah. show, right? Oh, Supernatural was a big seller. And then once the seal is broken, once you get one as a gift, now it's there. Yeah. Now you're used to it. Now it's kind of lonely. Now you see one when you're walking into an FYE. I don't know why you're walking into an FYE, but suppose for the sake of argument, you're in an FYE and you see there's an exclusive glow in the dark uh, 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 Dean Winchester. <laughs> and you're like, oh, fuck, that's, that's an exclusive. I don't know when I'm going to find one of those. And now you got one. And now right. then uh, a year later, you look on eBay and you're like, oh, shit, that glow in the dark Dean Winchester is worth like 200 bucks now. I'm going to sell it and buy more Funko Pops. It's the It snowballs so easily. And that's the dirty trick, too, of like... Like, not just things that have giant fandoms like Star Wars, but things like these smaller TV shows that maybe don't have the biggest fandom, but they have a very avid fandom. And Mm. in the age of everybody wanting to feel seen when they go anywhere and do anything, right, to walk into a store and be like, oh, my God, they have this pop figure of this very specific thing that I love that I didn't think anyone else was as big of a fan of as me, right? I have to have this. I have to show the world how big of a fan I am of this thing by having this st- figure on the shelf. I was about to say stupid figure, but you know what? It's not stupid, Jake. <laughs> you know, by 2012, nerd culture is now exploding beyond exploding. It's not even nerd culture anymore. Funko's coming out with Game of Thrones, Walking Dead, Big Bang Theory, The Simpsons, Disney, Star Wars, Marvel, DC, uh, horror icons. It's it's just it's it's inescapable. Like it is it is one of the it is the official uh, 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 object of fan culture. And uh, Conan O'Brien in 2015, when he goes to Comic-Con. Uh, gets his own line and uses it in the marketing of his Comic-Con live episodes. Like it's any, it gets to the point where companies that are trying to create a hit within the fan community will go out of their way to reach out to Funko to get Funkos made because you're not a real thing unless you got Funkos made. Yeah, exactly. Like you're not a real band unless Weird Al parodies your song, right? Mm -hmm. It's kind of in the same lane. Oh, you uh, best believe there's Weird Al Funkos. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, Mariotti said, in terms of choosing what their next pop figure is going to be, we focus on what is trending in pop culture. The next step is seeking out what characters make the most sense and speak to our collector base. There's no hard or fast rules on what TV shows or movies make the best pop lines. If there is a fan following, they tend to support pop. And he also said, you know, because it's really about expanding their audience, you know, and I think that was when they went ding, ding, ding in that initial San Diego Comic-Con because they were just like, oh, it's not just dusty old guys looking for bobbleheads. It's like we've, we're having children, young women, like this completely other markets appear at our table and, and are really into what we're selling. We need to expand more and more. Mariotti said, sometimes licensing, uh, sometimes licenses bring more people into the world. Fortnite is a great example. Before we had Fortnite, we didn't do really well with boys age 6 to 14 which is Fortnite's sweet spot. We brought Fortnite in, and we got a lot of new fans. Another example is gold. 
It's directly aimed at the sneakerhead community that loves. Uh, oh, hey, I wonder who he's referring to here. The sneakerhead community that loves rap music and collecting Nikes, entering into that urban culture. It's designed that way and marketed that way. We're just trying always to broaden the base. When it comes to the massive fan bases that were undes- underserved, I think our focus for the last few years has been sports, music, and anime. Focusing a lot of our licensing and product attention on those three specific genres that work phenomenally for us. So they're constantly like, all right, we've covered these bases. We can totally keep you know, focusing on these things. But they're actually looking for gaps. They're, they're, they're literally looking for anything they're not covering and trying to fill that space just, just to get m- more people in. Now, this strategy is both a blessing and a curse. And a lot of uh, you can see that in the fact that... Um, even at their heights, Funko was bringing in hundreds and millions of dollars in revenue, but barely squeaking by with only like two or three million dollars in profit or net income or whatever you want to call it, because you got to pay for distribution. The retailer gets their cut. The licensees get their cut. All of, you know, that $10 price point that makes them so appealing gets whittled away to the point where Funko themselves are barely making anything on all of these. Not to mention the overproduction. They have to anticipate a lot of these trends ahead of time to get the product in stores. You know, uh, I spoke to a uh, owner of a of a uh, collector shop that now for the past few years have dealt primarily in Funkos. Their prime business is Funkos. Uh, you know, providing to the community, selling at auction, uh, like their world uh, it has become Funko Pops. And he like regretted the fact that, you know, uh, Valerian and the city of a thousand planets, he could like build a home out of all the unsold ones. This is around the time where you're seeing, uh, you know, the bargain bin filled with like nonsense characters from like uh, streaming shows <laughs> that never got off the ground. How many variations of Dustin from Stranger Things does one person need? Right. Like there's a glut. There's a uh, overproduction problem that uh, a lot of fans are catching on to um, to the point where in 2017 they did their IPO on the Nasdaq and it was a boondoggle. It was the largest one day loss in value like from their initial offering by the end of the day it was like 40 percent lose loss if you invested in the ipo which was a laughing stock at the time because this beanie baby effect wasn't was in full thing they just did not have their shit together and honestly it's fascinating because we talk about loot crate culture a lot we talk about this 2008 to 2016 rise and then kind of dissipation of uh, the of nerd culture as a whole. Yeah. And a lot of that can be, uh, you know, that the excitement in that scene was like kind of got the wind knocked out of it as markets got flooded with like cheap tat and the thrill of collecting was kind of uh, uh, evaporated. Uh, cultural issues where like all of a sudden uh, fandoms that were united all of a sudden on very insane cultural lines started like going at each other's throats over every little thing. Um, uh, Famous people within the nerd community getting outed as like being problematic or abusive. You know, there was just the the honeymoon has been over for nerd culture for a lot of time. You know, we talk about Marvel fatigue all the time. Um, And yet, like I said, Funko is still in the game because I think they've evolved and grown and become more than nerd culture itself. 
It is now Funko culture. It is now just their own fucking zone. And they have somehow escaped the gravitational pull of nerd shit. Mariotti has this to say about some of uh, the secrets of their success. I think one of the reasons why many of our products have a very healthy secondary market is that we've always been disciplined enough. When we retire a product, we never bring it back. We don't overproduce it. We're obsessed with sell-through data, not sell-in data. We're looking at what we give to the retailer and then monitoring their data week to week, saying, oh my God, this is selling great, or boy, this is not selling like we thought it was. Don't make it anymore. It keeps the brands healthy. The last thing you want to do when you have 40 feet at Walmart and 35 feet at Target is to have dead products sitting on the shelves. You have to clearance them out. The idea that keeping products scarce, not overproducing, and having our products can uh, be desirable and sought after is better than trying to extract all the dollars you possibly can from every individual skew. I think the business that business philosophy has been around since I bought the company 17 years ago. Think about it from a brand perspective. You don't want to see the product people want so bad at a Comic-Con clearanced out somewhere else because you overproduced it. I think that as we grow as a company, we're getting better at that. I think that's how you keep the brand fresh and relevant and create a sense of urgency for your products amongst your fans. But obviously, that has been a learning process for them, as you mentioned, like that they've had to really tweak that system of how they go about not, you know, and I mean, and, uh, and I believe that is another big part of the Beanie Baby downfall, right? Mm-hmm. Was 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 not nailing it with the overproduction and underproduction of certain things, and not oversaturating the market too too hard and getting too greedy. Across America, BP supports more than two hundred and seventy five thousand jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms, and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. There is a little bit of a speculator boom going on uh, in the run up to the recording of this episode. A two pack of Willy Wonka gold painted Funkos went on eBay for a hundred thousand dollars. Oh, my God. Uh, well, I, I, you know, reading a lot of old articles and watching a lot of old videos on YouTube, people would point to like. This is crazy. Here's this, uh, you know, silver painted Batman that is available only to uh, Hot Topic employees who reach a performance threshold. And <laughs> like it's worth twelve hundred dollars. Wowie zowie. And now if you go on eBay, there's Funko Pops for thousands and thousands of dollars easily. You know, if Wall Street gets a hold of this, you know, it, we yeah. might be. That's what killed comic book speculation. That's what killed Beanie Baby speculation. Yeah. Is if people start seeing this as a financialized asset, someone's going to be left holding the bag. And that was going to be one of my arguments for like why Funko Pop is not Beanie Babies when we got to that part and we can kind of just start siphoning it in around yeah, this yeah. time. It's just that I, I have yet to hear someone be like, I'm going to put my kids through college with these Funko Pops. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And that was really what the Beanie Babies became. I really enjoyed that Beanie Baby documentary that HBO put out not too long ago. They kind of nailed down what happened with the rise and the fall of the Beanie Baby craze. Uh, and I'm trying, I'm constantly, obviously comparing it to Funko Pops because it is, you know, it is 
taken over all the shops, just like Beanie Babies did. But there's it's a little bit different. It's a little more like figured out. I think that the main thing is honestly just that like you would put this up on your shelf. Like, yes, there are the crazy people that have like an entire room filled with Funko Pops, right? And that's what they're doing. And they're kind of doing that thing. But I think there are a lot more people out there that are just like happy to have the thing, the Funko Pop version of the things they like. And they don't do that. And it's just, it, there's still like, there's still an enjoyment in like having that stuff up on their shelves and stuff like that. Especially the influencer you know, generation, right? Like all have usually like some Funko Pops in the background of whatever they're like, you know, content they're creating. It should be noted that the most expensive and valued uh, Beanie Baby was uh, the Princess Die one, which was yes. basically a totem of fandom. Yes. And they didn't really do that with like most all other uh, Beanie Babies, right? And yeah. like that's ex- exactly, I totally thought about that as well. Uh, I uh, went on and tried to look up kind of the more uh, pricey uh, mm-hmm. Funko Pops out on the market right now. And again, and these are pretty much all, you know, con exclusives. And oftentimes they even signed have, by the celebrity they're representing. Right, right. And and so these are pretty much all stuff that you would get at San Diego Comic-Con, E3, you know, all these different conventions that they appear at where they give away a very small supply of exclusives or sell to, you know, a very limited group of people that are just happen to be there specifically at the con, which again is kind of brings it to that sneakerhead place of like, you have to go to the store, you have to wait outside or you have to go to the booth. You got to get a number and get it. You know what I mean? And it's, and you have to be there physically to get it. And it's like you have to continue to instill those policies for the really rare stuff if you want there to be the mystique around it and there to be this very specific, um, you know, fervor around mm. certain things. So according to WealthyGorilla.com, as of March 2022, the current most valuable Funko Pop is the glow-in-the-dark Alex DeLarge Clockwork Orange Funko. And this brings me back to what I was talking about earlier where, like, it also weirdly sidesteps any controversy, which is hilarious to me because what's controversial that is, about a clockwork orange? Name one right? fucked up thing that happens this in a clockwork orange. The most famous thing about this character is that he is a rapist. <laughs> and it is just so insane that that is the most expensive one on the market, the most sought after one on the market. And it stands right next to Spider-Man and it stands right next to Baby Yoda. You know what I mean? It's just so funny to me. Um, and uh, so this is a chase variant is what, is what you know mm. we refer to them as. Uh, it seems to be a different mold entirely with the, the tiny detail that he doesn't hold his cane on top of uh, glowing in the dark. Its estimated value is $13,300. Also, um, the Chase variant thing, uh, really quick, I just wanted to throw out there that... um Oh, hold on just a second. We talked about it, that uh, it, for every, the Funkos are sold to retailers in boxes of six, and then a uh, Super Crate or whatever they call it is a box of 36. Uh, one in six is one of those Chase variants. Right. I just wanted to throw out there the different types of variation there is. There's color change. There's a flocked finish, uh, metallic paint, 
glitter, translucence, and now and again, just like I just mentioned, sometimes a totally different mold entirely mm-hmm. is the variant. And and I think that again, like the Alex one is like that, where it's like, oh, it's like it's like a different pose entirely, which of course would make people flip out uh, over that. Uh, you also have a Freddy Funko, uh, the company's official mascot. I was creepily, hey, mm-hmm. it's me. I was that, you know, the creepy guy from the beginning because he does look creepy and that's what I think he talks like. He appears many times on this list uh, the of the most valuable pop figures because it's him as different exclusives. So the second most valuable is Fun- uh, Freddy Funko uh, as notable child murderer Jamie Lannister. That is the second most uh Successful. Whoa, whoa, or most whoa. He's also a sister valuable. fucker. Don't throw him <laughs> yeah, yeah, throw about the that. baby the out with the bathwater. Well. <laughs> throw it out with the incest. Um, it's his bloody variant, because he's speckled with blood uh, that ex- appeared exclusively at 2013 San Diego Comic Con, uh, which g- it goes for almost $10,000. Um, and then after that, Freddie Funko appears on the list again and again as Frankenberry, Buzz Lightyear, Boba Fett, Count Chocula, Tony Stark. Ghost Rider, Batman, and more. So always kind of look if it's a Freddy Funko as Batman or something like that. Um, you know, if you see that at the yard sale, maybe snap it up. It might be worth something. Um, and I guess if you're at the 2013 San Diego Comic Con, you're able to clean up the Funko stand. Uh, you may have a crazy valuable collection. Number three on the list is the clown variant of Dumbo, which was also released in 2013 at San Diego Comic Con. So again, if you're at that Comic Con and you just happen to, oh, say, get some of those, um, maybe dust them off and look them up online. Uh, and as you mentioned before, a signed one, signed Stan Lee Funkos are fourth on that list. Oh, uh, those were only available through his own personal website. So those were, in fact, very rare exclusives. So, yeah, especially signed. So the con thing was so successful with them, they created their own convention with FunCon. And they ended up doing this big set of events, um, mostly virtual at first. Um, there's been there's going to be more in store events in 2022, but they had it's just essentially they scattered about uh, c- exclusives like they do at their conventions, but at different retailers and online, GameStop, Hot Topic, Target, and Walmart, among many other ones. And uh, uh, Mariotti said, "I think as we're coming out of the pandemic, the world is going to be virtual meets." physical let's say 2022 is an entirely normal year we're still going to do both events uh speaking towards like in-store funk on events and digital funk on events i think we've learned so much about how to engage a much larger audience so now they're like looking more towards what about the people who don't live in san diego or don't fly there for the convention how do we serve those people and yet still maintain the hype so i'm gonna get metaphysical for a second holden please Jake is now floating, by the way. It's uh, very interesting. He's got these weird bells circulating around him. I'm opening my third pitch black beady round eye. Ugh, hate that eye. I watched a video from uh, the Guinness Book of World Records YouTube channel uh, looking at the collection of David Mebane, Mibane, I don't know his last name, uh, from Knoxville, Tennessee, (laughs) whose world record collection contains 7,095 Funko figures. And looking at these walls of characters, I was terrified and amazed that I recognized all of them. Wow. That, you know, not not even if I covered a pop culture podcast for the past five years, the Western pantheon, just the amount of, of, of characters and entities in my mind's fucking Rolodex, 
outnumbers the amount of people I've even met in person. I like I know the way more names of fake people than I do real people. And Funko has somehow found a way to conglomerate that entire fucking mind realm into the physical space that we inhabit. And that is fucking incredible where NASCAR drivers can hang out with Hanna-Barbera characters who can hang out with horror uh, monsters, who can hang out with superheroes, who can hang out with politicians. And it's all united into this single format through which your entire life and entire like mental space can be physically condensed into an object. It's goddamn insane then adding to the fact that like you know you cre- you start entering the j- collection culture you start entering the trade culture and it's just created this ecosystem where the imaginary becomes real and you become addicted to it you become uh you know just a part of it and it's it's maybe it's part of just the loop the original loophole of bobbleheads uh it's only recently actually that uh Funko has gotten the rights to do die cast, which is like, uh, you know, a single mold of Star Wars and Disney and Marvel characters, because previously those rights were tied up with action figures, with Hasbro, with Kenner, with all that uh, to the yeah, up until recently, they were still selling bobbleheads depending on what licensee they were using. But they have created this streamlined, infinitely efficient, incredibly responsive way to turn hey, I like this, into $10, into I have a thing. And Mm -hmm. ancient peoples (laughs) would have talismans and shrines to their like guardian gods, to their ancestral spirits. And we don't have that anymore. We are in, in the spiritual core, Holden, where gods and angels once dwelled, we now have cartoon characters and movie stars and pop artists. And we have that that primordial urge to have those guardians in our world and in our lives and wa- and literally watching over us, unblinking to give us safety and comfort is been somehow turned into the Funko movement. And I don't think it's going away. I don't think it's a Beanie Baby thing. I think it's just it's there with Lego. It's there with Barbie. It's there with uh, Hot Wheels as just a inescapable part of the toy culture that we will see for the rest of our lives. Yeah. And maybe that kind of immediately goes into answering my question, which is like, will this go the way of the beanie baby? And I think that you are totally right. I think it's the one major thing that differentiates itself because you know what? Beanie babies, they also did the forced, um, you know, the vaulting and like mm-hmm. the forced obscurity. They did all of that stuff. They did the like constant turnaround of product that, you know, all, all of that stuff, uh, the exclusive, you know, outputting and everything that creates this collector's market and this fanaticism. But I think the difference is that these are these totems and I, and, 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 and specifically you can literally stack them up in a <laughs> giant column, like a fucking totem pole. Uh, yeah, yeah, and I think that that is like the one thing that maybe is going to keep them alive. Do you think? I don't know the answer to this question. I mean, I'm a, I, I'm a little cynical about this kind of stuff. I think that will some point 
bust, maybe, and and you know we'll move on to a different aesthetic at least, even though it'll maintain you know we'll, we'll still stay. Has the Lego in. minifigure aesthetic changed over the past fifty years? I guess that's true, but a Lego set is different. I mean, I would definitely think, and also Lego might have become more been more obscure at this point if they didn't put out the incredibly successful the Lego Movie. And certain things like well, that. Well, Funko is trying. Good Lord knows Funko is desperately trying. So, yes. Uh, by the way, in the era of Space Jam 2 and Ready Player One and uh, the like, of course, there's a possible fi- hybrid film and action animated hybrid film that has been in the works since 2019. Uh, if this happens, it would be the first ever theatrically released film that crosses over Marvel and DC comic characters uh, with so many possible licenses throw the mix. It will be it will be Space Jam 100 this fucking property if if this comes out. It'll be so ludicrous. Um, in more more so than even Lego could possibly accomplish um, in terms of the hey this thing hey remember this I mean if you if they give it to Phil Lord and Chris Miller then it'll be a good yeah. movie and then they're set yeah I um I don't know I I, I mean I I get cynical I think at some point this thing has to we we have to move on as a culture to some other kind of fad what and, culture uh, some Holden. Other- <laughs> what other culture are you talking about? Culture is Funko Pops. So you have essentially, I believe you've started a cult around Funko Pops. Oh, no, no, no. I've been research. cast out of the cult for my heresy because I still think you just add a fucking mouth to these things and they're way more appealing. Just let them have a mouth. But uh, if you are interested in the business side of Funko, I actually recorded like an hour long interview with the guy at the collector store who really got into the nitty gritty of, you know, buying and selling these things, the collector's market, uh, the realities of kind of dealing with this one company and, uh, you know, whether and what's the perspective of, you know, starting a store to do magic tournaments and sell comic books only to have your life consumed by these little vinyl things. It's really fascinating. We'll get it out to you somehow. Um, Look for that. I think it'll be great. But it's, yeah, Holden, I, I, I've, I've already did my fucking where gods and angels once dwelt speech. I'm done. I'm out. <laughs> yeah, I think that's our episode on Funko Pop. We hope you enjoyed it. It was definitely a fascinating one for me. I uh, needed to know more about the history of this thing and how this thing became such a just a takeover in the retail space and just in popular culture in general on the internet and whatnot. It is definitely a sign of the times of that nerd nostalgia fanaticism revolution that started in the late 2000s and just uh, enveloped everything and still is like now i just think it's it was back then it was like i like i like a darth vader helmet and a a stormtrooper helmet and a triforce and i'm a nerd guy and i like nerd stuff and now it's like i'm specifically into just obi-wan kenobi (laughs) that is the that is where all of my eggs are that is the basket right there. you say that as if there aren't millions of women whose entire emotional life revolve around the writing stories where him and uh where kylo ren and (laughs) ray have babies together it's 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 not even just that guy it's everybody man (laughs) um so there you have it our episode on fungo pop if you'd like to support us further patreon.com forward slash whizbrew we have weekly bonus episodes for just five dollars a month and for just fifteen dollars a month you can join us on our sunday study session every sunday this past week we 
checked out Funko Pops and hung out on that. Uh, so check it out. Um, we, you know, if it's a movie, we'll watch it. If it's a comic book, we'll read it or whatever. And uh, it's a good time over there on Discord. Patreon.com forward slash Whizbrew. Check me out on Twitch. Twitch.tv forward slash Holdenators Ho. I stream Monday, Tuesday, and Friday, uh, and trying to get some extra streams out there as well, trying to hit it harder uh, here as we move into the middle of 2022. So check me out, twitch.tv forward slash Holdenators Ho. Jake! Uh, follow me on Twitter at Best Jake Young and see all my thoughts and plops and get weird little tidbits of uh, research that I've been doing all week. Uh, also, hey, Twitch.tv slash Puppet Jared, YouTube.com slash Puppet Jared. I'm a VTuber. I'll admit it. I'll shout it from the rooftops. Look at me, Ma. I have a virtual avatar and I do streams with it. Uh, Thursdays is my flagship stream, the Cartoon Dumpster, where we watch bad, weird, or otherwise uh, unbelievable retro cartoons from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s. And it's a great hangout. It's like if your Saturday morning cartoon block had a baby with Mystery Science Theater 3000. Every week, people come in and be like, hey, I finally got a chance to check it out. And it fucking rules so hard. I'm having so much fun. My life is better because of the gift of laughter that you've given me. Don't you want to be one of those people? Check me out, Twitch and YouTube, Puppet Jared. And hey, everybody, never stop bruising. And keep on whizzing. Just never stop whizzing. Whiz as hard as you possibly can Ugh. at all times. Whiz like your life Have depended on Have some restraint. On Have a little bit of restraint. All right. Okay, Whiz. fine. Whiz slightly less than you are capable of. <laughs> this show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.